You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Christmas right around the corner. And so we're traveling around the world. Well, kind of virtually traveling around (laughs) the world. Talking with our friends serving internationally today where they have been given to serve the Lord. And what maybe does Christmas look like in their part of the world as well? We'll share that story with you in just a minute. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Sarah, what do you think? Should we go to Czech Republic today? That sounds fantastic. Let's do it. All right. Very good. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. John Bambaro. He's LCMS Eurasia Director of Theological Education based in Prague, Czech Republic. Dr. Bambaro, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. It's nice to be with you and Sarah again on this second week of Advent. Tell us about the the region or the the communities in which you serve. I know you you've served in a variety of places. Where are you given to serve today, and what does that community or that region look like? Well, when we first launched into the field, we went to Riga, Latvia, to serve the Luther Academy for the Latvian Evangelical Lutheran Church. That work hasn't stopped; it's just become a bit broader, and my responsibilities have diversified. When COVID came and we were starting up an online program so that we could receive accreditation and spread our work out to other countries, especially to men and women who didn't have the means or the opportunities to travel to spend four years at a seminary, this online program in English needed to be built from the U.S. utilizing the resources from the Concordia University system, particularly Concordia University Irvine and Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne although St. Louis was an enormous help as well. And that brought us back to the U.S. for about 20 months, during which time we planted a church in Hayden, Idaho, that's Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, which I'm happy to say is thriving. After 16 months, they called a full-time pastor, that's Marcus Williams, who had come from Montana, and he's been faithfully and, and praise be to God, successfully serving that parish. Well, that freed us up to return to the field and having moved from the associate director of the region to the director of theological education, we went to a more centralized location given that we work with seven seminary or theological institutions here in Eurasia, and I'll name them for you. There's Westfield House, that's in Cambridge, England, and then Oberussel, Germany, we, which is the seminary for Zelk, a partner church for us as well, Gothenburg. In Sweden, there's the Riga Luther Academy, of course, in Latvia, St. Petersburg, Novosibirsk, and then the Concordia Theological Seminary in Nagarkoil, India. Although that may technically belong more to the Asia region, we share the responsibilities there when it comes to theological education. And so we've been here now in the Czech Republic for about five months. That is just sound, that sounds like just wonderful work that you're able to do with all of this theological education around Europe and and a, a little little foothold in in Asia as well in Nagarkoil. What is what does that theological education look like for you serving in all of these different regions? What is that need for this theological education in all these different areas? Thanks, Sarah. There are a number of wickets that we try to hit. Not only are we trying to recruit men and women young, but also second and third career to enter into holy ministry. There's capacity in which women can serve as deaconesses. We have constant needs within the church with respect to care. 
And there isn't really something like the Stephen Ministry Program that we see throughout the United States presently in Eurasia. So the, the need is great. So aside from trying to persons into a full course of theological study, a bachelor's of theology, we also have colloquy programs for men who are converting into Lutheranism from other traditions, where we have a very large cohort of 21 men who are converting from Pentecostal or evangelical traditions is in Pakistan and with the largest concentration in is Islamabad. And, and so they have a bit more of an accelerated program because they would have already been to, as, as it were, a divinity school or a school of theology. What we do is Lutheranize them and help provide them with the tools and resources for a proper distinction between law and gospel, a right understanding of what constitutes the church, which is Jesus's activity of the pure preaching of the gospel and the sacraments administered according to the gospel. And then we're always looking to break out into new, pro, uh, into new regions and so some of our programs are particularly geared for, for church planting. So evangelistic endeavors are extremely important. And there we have works taking place in Italy that you'll read about sometimes in Reporter and other places. Romania, there's burgeoning work in Turkey. And we also take spillover students from the quite full seminaries that we cooperate with. There are seven of them in Africa. So we have a number of Africans who join us by way of Zoom. The other thing we do is we hold in-person intensives. We've had them thus far at the Old Latin School in Wittenberg and also at the Luther Academy in Riga, as well as another location in Saldus. Because our Pakistani men cannot come to us for immigration region reasons, we, we just haven't been able to get visas for them to come. We go out to Pakistan every half year for about 10 days to two weeks and do in-person intensives in Islamabad. And that's how things look. We also have a program of a series of seminars and conferences for the enrichment of already established pastors and also for young theologians who are coming through the system, whether they be in high school or in university. So you can see we have a number of different programs hitting different demographic groups and in different regions. And we're doing our best to accommodate people according to their needs and also according to their means. And all of this, I have to say, is, is wonderfully and generously funded by the, the good people of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, who showed no small largesse to the missional endeavors with which we're engaged in Eurasia. That sounds like a very busy... <laughs> Edgel, do you ever sleep? Well, I I think I I have an informal advanced degree in in plate spinning at this point. <laughs> so in addition to that, I, I do maintain a lot of writing and I speak at many of these conferences and seminars, which requires an enormous amount of preparation beforehand. And then uh, one of our missionaries, Dale Castor, we'd ask you to keep him in prayer. As you may know, he's recovering from cancer in Florida presently, and he's the principal pastor at St. Michael the Archangel here in Prague. And along with Pastor Martin Domischek, who is a Czech, he and I have been fulfilling the duties here. So there's even some pastoral responsibilities, but we're looking forward to having Pastor Dale and Suzanne back in the field, God willing, perhaps as soon as January, maybe as late as April. I know that your family is very important to you as well in your vocation as husband and father. Tell us about bringing your family to Prague and making that transition to life in the Czech Republic. 
I wish my daughter Marie could hear you right now ask that question. <laughs> she would definitely <laughs> smile on her face. It's, it took about three and a half months for our household goods to get here. So we literally slept in sleeping bags on camping mats for probably a better part of four months. And um, <laughs> yeah, so that was a bit of a challenge. Fortunately, our goods got here just at the beginning of November before the cold weather settled in. How has it gone? I would say, I mean, it's an adventure. My life is, it revolves around a high high degree of literacy with a high capacity of literacy, right? So being able to read and write and communicate the gospel in English is critically important. I'm now with my family in a locale in which we are perfectly illiterate. And it's only Luca right now who's learning Czech in school. And that's something that we, we just haven't had enough time to, for things to slow down, to get a routine underneath us, to, be, to, to begin to learn Czech more properly. So we're picking up, you know, social polite sayings, you know, the niceties of, of greeting people, hello, goodbye, being able to find a bathroom and order something to eat. But I, I think to, to fit in and show respect to the culture and the people here, we would do well to learn a bit more Czech. There is German with the older generations and, I, and, and they'll speak German with you, which, which is really nice. But Certainly, I would say anyone under the age of 45 is going to be almost fluent in English, and, and certainly anyone under the age of 35. There's a high degree of fluency of English here, and in, in some respects, you can just come out and say that you know the, the Czechs are easily trilingual, they're polyglots in, in terms of their abilities with language. We are getting time together when I'm not on the road, which is about 50 to 60% of the time, I do work from home in terms of writing and preparations for the, the next trips and outings. And on occasion, I'm able to bring, thanks to the generosity of, of one of our supporters, I'm able to bring Marie with me sometimes and Luca with me sometimes, both who are homeschooling. And that's a great comfort and encouragement to me. And it also makes, you know, when you see or experience amazing people or things, you know, to be able to just kind of share it with the rest of the family is, is really important. Thanks for asking. What does that travel schedule look like for you? The, the region that you're, that you're serving is quite large. And, and you mentioned all of those different seminary, those theological education hubs that you mentioned. What does that look like for you then? Well, you know, the, the excitement and that notion of being cosmopolitan and international, mm -hmm. believe me, it's worn off. It's, it's work. <laughs> and usually looking to get to a place as as cost efficiently and as speedy as possible. And, you know, we do have resources at the International Center that help us with travel in that respect. But it would look like since, let's say, August, we've been to Greece, Germany, Latvia, Lithuania, Croatia, Austria, Germany multiple times, England, Greece again, Turkey, Pakistan, and back to the United States for a bit of work and Denmark. So that's my travel wow. schedule. January comes up on the 4th. Uh, Luke and I leave for India and we won't be home for five weeks. Then we're home for three days and then to Romania for the youth gathering that's happening there. It'll be a week there. And then I think home for a week and then on the road again. So it's, it's taxing to be sure. And at the same time, let, let me say, it is a great privilege 
And we we understand that this is, in fact, a privilege. It's not my right. No one owes me this. And uh, any opportunity they have to go, I want to make sure that I'm best prepared as I possibly can be to serve with high energy. So taking care of myself. And Melinda does a great job making sure that I eat well and maintain a regimen of, of fitness so that you know we can serve with, again, with that energy and excitement, which sharing the Holy Gospel is all about. Wow. We have more to uh, <laughs> learn about uh, Dr. John Bombaro and his family serving in Eurasia, particularly out of, based out of Prague, Czech Republic, and uh, looking forward to Christmas coming up in that part of the world as well. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. John Bombaro. He is Director of Theological Education for LCMS Eurasia. He's based out of Prague, Czech Republic. And you, you, Dr. Bombaro, you shared with us just a, a great update of the work that you've been given to do serving in Eurasia and an update on your family making that, that trip to or the relocation to Prague. Now, this sounds like it will be your first Christmas in Prague. Is that right? That's right. So what are what is it starting to look like around Prague these days? What, what have you learned about Christmas traditions in Prague? Oh, believe me, we have our spidey senses full alert. It's so exciting here. First of all, the weather has cooled down. We've had a few snows. It doesn't stick around very long, but it certainly is gorgeous when it snows here in Prague. Christmas and Advent, you know, start later than, say, the consumer-driven season in the U.S. So even still, the lights are just starting to come out a little bit more. You're seeing candles in the windows and those sort of things. You know... Fake is out and real is in. So there are live Christmas trees everywhere. The ones that go up in the Christmas markets, they're all real trees and they're decorated with tons and tons of real trees everywhere. There's a massive one in the Old Town Square that's absolutely stunning. And if you have listeners have a chance to log online, take a peek. You know, it's easily 50 feet tall, perhaps even taller than that, and just dazzling. The other thing to say is that people will go out, they'll venture out to the Christmas market to go see the nativity. That's actually a thing. You kind of make this little journey to go see Jesus at the Christmas market. And there's a nativity present at every single Christmas market that's here. And I think that the markets too are different from Germany, not only in terms of the offerings that they have, although there's, there's some overlap. But the feel of them is a bit different. Feels much more localized than perhaps some of the German markets and maybe a bit more antiquated. The Old Town one is, is spectacular in the extreme, but it sure doesn't feel like Dresden or, or Leipzig or Cologne. The other things to say would be Advent wreaths are everywhere. I think these are the things that we're noticing. 
people will have real natural Advent wreaths and set up their Advent candles and they will mark Advent. And as we move into, especially today, St. Nicholas Day, St. Nikolai Day, last night we saw a lot of people dressed up as St. Nicholas, not as Santa Claus, but as, as the ancient St. Nicholas. And then with him are accompanied devils and angels. And they will enter into people's homes. And when St. Nicholas comes in, the devil will run in and, and begin to harass the children, or the devils will do so. And what they do is they call upon St. Nicholas, and he sends the angels. And, and so it's this kind of this tradition where you, you say a prayer, or you recite a poem, or a, or a piece of scripture, and then St. Nicholas dispatches the devil by, by sending them away, which is really interesting. And then the other thing we notice too is that the, the traditional food for Christmas is different than in North America. Beginning in the 1600s, the Czechs celebrated Christmas with carp. So they have hmm. fish. Yes. And it's, apparently it started with the Hussites who gathered around lakes during the Hussite wars that continued you know, through the Thirty Years' War and there were uprisings after that. Although we do hear from some of the Czechs that the, their palate for carp has waned. And so it's moving more towards salmon, which I think that would be agreeable to me as well. The, the way that the carp is prepared is that it's breaded and fried. Another interesting thing that we learned is beginning tonight on December 6th, children will write a note, not to Santa Claus, but they will write a note to baby Jesus. So you write a note of repentance for being naughty to baby Jesus, and he's the one that you ask to bring gifts. So Santa doesn't show up with the gifts. This kind of magical baby Jesus shows up with the gifts, which is completely different. And so you write your note of repentance and you put your wish list on there and you, you stick it in the window. That's to say you stick it between the windows and apparently baby Jesus takes it from the windows and then on Christmas Eve, he comes not down the chimney, but he comes through the window, which to me, that seems to make a whole lot more sense because, you know, I don't know how you're ever going to get a corpulent fellow like Jolly St. Nick down there. Anyway, but we'll just leave that for what it is. <laughs> so the, uh, the you, you have the baby Jesus who comes, but they, they will decorate the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve, which will be in the living room. There's usually doors to these rooms and the doors get closed. And what we understand is that parents will tell the children that to the, there's no peeking because if you peek to see the presents, the presents will disappear. And interestingly, un unlike many North American homes, there's not a reading of Matthew's or even Luke's nativity account before the opening of presents. I think they just kind of tuck right in on Christmas Eve. There are no special Christmas desserts, although there is a braided bread that beginning this week will start to be consumed and it has an element of sweetness about it. And then the presents are opened after church on Christmas Eve itself. One of the things that we learned is that it, it does sound really kind of works-based in terms of its storyline. You know, if you're good, then Jesus will bring you gifts. And if you're naughty, just like Santa, you, you won't get gifts. And I think just that little vignette of peeking in the doors to see the gifts and they disappear 
is still along those same kind of lines. So I'll just pause for a second and see if you have any further questions. Yeah, I'm curious, the the cultural sense, if it like culturally, maybe this won't make sense, but like culturally religious where people kind of understand the Christmas story, but it's not really a religious celebration or is it more of an actual like this is a religious holiday for people? That's a wonderful question, Sarah. The Czech Republic kind of bears this moniker as being the most atheistic country in the world with apparently you know, 94 or 96% of the population being atheistic. I don't think that's correct. And as I've talked to one professor at Charles University, which is the ancient university founded in 1348 here in Prague, he was saying to me that when that survey was done, the one that's gotten all the notoriety, they really asked the wrong question. And the question that the way it was interpreted by people wasn't, do you believe in God, but do you go to church? And no, people don't go to church on the whole here. And they have a history with the church that garners a somewhat justified suspicion of the church. So during World War II, many churches, both Catholic and Lutheran, sided with the Nazi regime. In, in fact, the parish with which, in, in which we were, worship St. Michael the Archangel, the, the properties of the church, it had an enormous building, which is now a hotel and a, a courtyard with parsonage and, and other housing, all of that was confiscated by the government because of participation with the, the Nazis. Since that time, the good and faithful people have come up in a different generation and the church has been given back to the, to the Lutherans. But even during the communist era, Roman Catholic priests were known to turn in their parishioners to the communist authorities. And, and for that reason, the church is emptied out. And it's taking a lot of effort to get people back into the church. But with movement around Europe, you know, as the Czech Republic is part of the EU, you have a large expat community here. And those people go to church and meet people and bring them to church, just as we are doing in our parish here. And so there is a growing number of uh, people attending church. So I would say this, there is a recognition and a belief in God. There's a belief in Jesus, but how the story of Jesus plays out and how it's deconflicted from this convoluted understanding of baby Jesus being, you know, sort of this quasi modern Saint Nicholas it hasn't really been hashed out well. So you could see if you're taught as a child that baby Jesus is the one who brings you the gifts through the window, and it turns out, in fact, that your mom and dad does. That's only going to leave you, you know, disaffected when it comes to actual belief in the Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, and who suffered and died and made a blood atonement for our sins and was resurrected on the third day. You can see how by the power of association, people would have a distance from Jesus in that respect. At the same time, there is this cultural deference. And so, for instance, the Christmas market across the street from our house at St. Ludmila is is literally on the doors of the steps of the church. And people are breezing in and out. The church bells are going. You'll see the priests, and including myself, passing through there in, in collar and in cassock. So I think that there's a cozier relationship, but it still has a long way to go. Mm. 
With just a, a minute or so left, what do you look forward to at celebrating the nativity of our Lord in terms of service? Do the services look similar? Do you anticipate the services to look similar to what you might experience in a Christmas service here back in the States? Uh, it'll be no difference. We'll celebrate divine service mm-hmm. number three. I think the thing I look forward to most is that we have fantastic church bells in our 600-year-old chapel that ring out throughout the city, and they will be chiming on Christmas Eve and on Christmas morning. The thing I look forward to most is being around the table, praying and worshiping to Jesus, singing Christmas carols with my family, and thanks be to God, we'll, we'll even have the, the Lewis family from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Alexandria celebrating with us this year. Fantastic. How can we how can we stay informed on the Lord's work in Eurasia and particularly what you've been given to do in Neck Republic? Yeah, you can go on to the LCMS's website and check out the Office of International Missions. You can click on Eurasia and see about the work that all of our missionaries are doing out here. We're, there's about 100 of us here on the field in Eurasia. It's exciting work that's taking place. We do you know, miss all the wonderful things that take place back in North America. But, you know, with ESPN, we can keep keep abreast of the bowl game scores and things like that. <laughs> yeah, d- you know, check out the lcms.org website and, and look on what's happening in international missions. And the Lord puts it upon your heart and you have means and opportunity. Please contribute because it, it translates directly into real world ministry. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. John Bombaro, Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you so much, Dr. Bambaro, for sharing just a wonderful update and information about Christmas in the Czech Republic. You and Sarah always make it so much fun. Thank you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.